This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, violence, and abusive cultural values, including eugenics, forced breathing, emotional and financial manipulation, and indoctrination of adolescents. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 261. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 2 of my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, we were introduced to a group of students at Westfall Academy, an exclusive boarding school operated by the Psy Collective. Daniel Shirabi and his friends are all about to graduate from Westfall's high school, and that means facing the exit exam. But this isn't a test of the students' academic knowledge. It's a test of their psionic abilities. These hereditary powers come in a variety of forms. Daniel can perform psychic healing. His girlfriend Rebecca is an esper, able to see events before they happen, or view people in places from a distance. His teammates on the Westfall Skyball team include Fiona, who can enhance her strength and speed through the gift of psychometabolism, Del, a telekinetic who can move objects with his mind, and Kevin, whose pyrokinesis is so weak that he can barely heat a cup of coffee. The purpose of the exit exam is to test each of a size abilities and assign a number to them, so the Metamore Hive will know how best to use their talents to serve the collective. High power ratings come with extra privileges, such as university scholarships. A low power rating might mean that a psi is denied the opportunity to participate in the breeding cells, the group marriages that are the primary family unit for life in the collective. With so much riding on the outcome, Daniel was understandably anxious about his exam. To help him pull it together, his friends drew him into a telepathic gestalt, a kind of group mind where they can share thoughts and feelings at a level deeper than words. Daniel took strength from his friends, and as they broke the link, Rebecca returned from her own exit exam. She had good news. They had rated her as a level 9 esper, which ranks her in roughly the top 15% of the collective, and a level 5 telepath, which is modest but respectable. Now it's time for Daniel to face the judgment of the assembled hive. Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written and read 
by Chris Lester. Chapter 2 The first thing that struck Daniel as he entered the auditorium was how quiet it was. A crowd of 2,000 people usually made a respectable amount of noise, even when they were trying to keep their voices low. But the huge lecture hall was quieter than a classroom full of students taking a history final. Daniel looked up at rows upon rows of adults, all of them sitting eerily still. As Daniel's ears adjusted, he realized that he could hear one sound, a slow, steady murmur of air. The sound ceased for a few seconds, then resumed. A few seconds later, it paused again. Gods, he thought, suddenly understanding the source of the noise. They're all breathing in unison. Daniel had never seen a gestalt this large, or this perfect, in his entire life. Children weren't allowed to attend hive meetings. He stood there staring at them, their faces all calm and detached, and he felt a new understanding for why mundanes called his people spookies. One of the adults, a gray-haired elder dressed in unassuming street clothes, rose and beckoned to Daniel. Welcome, Daniel Sharabi. The elder's telepathic voice was grave, full of a weighty solemnity that was well-suited to the occasion. Are you ready to begin your exit examination? Daniel wasn't sure, but there wasn't much choice in the matter either way. I am, he sent back, his own telepathy sounding weak and tinny next to the resonant power that the elder carried. They were less than four meters apart, but Daniel still suspected that his thoughts wouldn't have reached that far if the elder had not already made the connection. Then join the link, said the elder, and we shall begin. Tentatively, Daniel widened the connection between himself and the Elder, opening up more of himself to their shared communion. Then the Elder glanced toward the assembled members of the Hive, and the Link suddenly came alive with a flood of thoughts and emotions. Daniel's consciousness was dragged into the collective unity of the Hive like a riptide. Two thousand minds were present, but they didn't feel like two thousand minds— it was more like one extremely powerful mind, so vast in its capabilities that it could consider hundreds of possible ideas at once. Daniel felt himself being spread out and examined by that superconsciousness, like a frog on a dissection table. Every corner of that mind seemed to have a piece of him, weighing, evaluating. He was drowning in the gestalt, but he was still separate from it. They had not yet invited him to take part in the judging of his own merits. After a while, minutes, days, centuries, Daniel wasn't sure, the psychic vivisection ceased, and he was able to pull his thoughts back into something resembling a coherent sense of self. Then the hive spoke, addressing him directly for the first time. "'We will test your telepathic sensitivity,' it said without preamble. In our mind there is a memory of a child, a dog, and a red ball. Find it. Tell us the name of the child, and the name of the dog. The massive hive mind opened itself up before Daniel, inviting him past the surface and into its memories. Gathering his will, he projected a line of thought inside, 
immediately he was bombarded by images, like 2,000 vid screens all showing different programs. Daniel understood. The hive mind was unified in its overall consciousness, its senses, and its short-term memories, but the long-term memories were still stored within the heads of the individual members, like separate hard disks on a computer network. The Hive could call any of them up for consideration at any time, but for an outsider, trying to locate one specific memory was like looking for a needle in a haystack. Daniel dipped into three mines in a row, and rifled through them for any sign of a child, a dog, and a red ball. Nothing. This was going to take forever, he thought. This couldn't be the way they wanted him to do this. He paused, considering. The gestalt with his fellow students was fresh in his mind, and he suddenly recalled a time when Sasha had been given a pop quiz by one of their history teachers. She hadn't known the answer, and had needed to respond quickly, so she sent out mental connections to a dozen other students at once, looking for one who knew the right answer, and had been holding it in the forefront of his or her mind since the moment the teacher asked the question. A telepath's mind wasn't like a computer with one central processing unit. It could handle multiple lines of investigation at once. In theory, anyway. Daniel had never tried to send his mind in more than one direction at once, since he normally needed skin contact to initiate a link. In this case, though, the link was already firmly established, so Daniel closed his eyes and pushed, trying to send out his thoughts in as many directions as possible. The strain was incredible. Daniel could feel a dull throbbing behind his eyes, and his body trembled with the effort of dividing his consciousness. He managed to summon five separate lines of thought, and held all of them in place for a few seconds before two of them collapsed. Frustrated, he poured his efforts into the remaining three. If he stopped and tried to re-establish all five, he might not manage any of them again. It seemed like an eternity, but at last one of his tendrils of thought touched on the memory of a young girl throwing a red ball. The dog, an Arabarb husky, raced after the ball with relentless purpose, snatching it on the run and circling back to bring it to the girl. Daniel immersed himself in the memory, letting it become his own, then pulled back his lines of thought, taking a copy of the memory with him. He felt his whole body relax as he returned to himself, the feeling of strain slowly subsiding. Harriet, he said, panting. His mind was so exhausted that he had to speak aloud to even form the thoughts clearly enough to send them. The girl's name was Harriet, and the dog was Ghost. Correct, the hive said. It did not sound impressed, and Daniel wondered how much worse he'd done than the other students who had been given this test. The hive paused, apparently considering something. "'You are tired,' it said, sounding unexpectedly sympathetic. "'You may rest before we continue with your examination. Take as much time as you need, and tell us when you are ready.' "'Thank you,' Daniel said. Opening his eyes, he saw a chair slide out from the side of the room and position itself next to him. He collapsed into it, and rested his head in his hands. This was probably another test, he thought. It would let them see how much it took out of him to use his powers, and how quickly he would recover. Knowing that he was probably still on the clock, 
Daniel only let himself rest for five minutes before standing to face the hive again. He wasn't at 100% again yet. Hells, he might not be for days. But he felt well enough to go on. All right, he said, once again projecting the words with thought alone. What's next? In the middle of one of the upper rows, a woman in her mid-twenties rose from her seat and walked down to the front of the room. Daniel only saw her two or three times a year, but he knew her immediately. His half-sister, Stacy. Her glossy black hair and mocha-brown skin were reflections of his own, though her eyes were russet brown instead of bright blue like his. She smiled at him, but her eyes were distant. She was still part of the hive. "'Your other psionic talent is the gift of healing,' the hive said. "'One of us has offered herself to be the object of your examination.' "'Object?' Daniel asked, frowning. In answer, Stacy turned her palms forward and stretched out her arms, holding them nearly perpendicular to the floor. There was a whisper of wind and a flash of light off metal, and then the veins of Stacy's arms opened up in a pair of incisions about ten centimeters long. Blood seeped forth and bathed her hands, running to the floor in two thin streams. Stacy did not cry out or even move a muscle. Holy shit! Daniel gasped. There was no time to hesitate. He loosened his tie, fingers fumbling with the knot, then finally pulled it free. Rushing to his sister's side, he wrapped the tie around her right elbow and knotted it tight to make a tourniquet. Hurrying to her other side, he pulled off his belt and cinched it around her left arm. He couldn't tie the belt in a knot, so he held it tight around the arm with his left hand, while he placed his right hand over the long, straight incision. He focused his will and clearly pictured what he wanted in his mind, imagining the vein pulling itself back together and the skin closing back up like a zipper. His hand glowed with a soft white light, and he ran it slowly over the injury, watching as the wound closed. Once the left arm was healed, he let go of the belt and went back to her right arm. It was harder the second time, and by the time the skin knitted itself together again, he was covered in sweat and gasping for breath. "'Thank you, Danny,' Stacy said. She had separated from the hive mind and was looking somewhat relieved." Her beautiful, coffee-brown skin had turned a sickly gray from the blood loss. She slowly walked over to a chair in the front row and eased herself into it, as towels and a basin of water floated up to land in front of her. "'Don't worry, I'll be all right.' "'All right?' Daniel asked, astonished and outraged. He turned to the rest of the hive, who still sat unmoving in their perfectly orderly rows. Are you fucking crazy? he demanded. What in the ninth are you thinking? You think you can just do that to my sister and I'm supposed to accept it? She volunteered for this test, the hive said. Every psychic healer's powers must be tested to the fullest before we can know their limits. Conducting the examination with a loved one encourages the subject to give his or her very best efforts to the test. She could have died, you lunatics! There are 297 other psychic healers in this room, the hive said mildly. 249 of them have talents stronger than yours. Stacy Sharabi was in no danger. But, Danny! Stacy's voice was firm, 
and his eyes met hers immediately. She was looking at him with an expression that was both angry and disappointed. "'Respect your elders,' she said gravely. Daniel lowered his head, ashamed. Stacy was right. Their own parents were somewhere in that assembly, and Daniel would never have dreamed of speaking to them so harshly. As much as he was disgusted and horrified by the gruesome nature of the test, he had to admit it had served its purpose. And, now that he thought about it, how the hell else were you supposed to test a psychic healing talent than with an injury? It wasn't as if they could move the entire hive into the local emergency room. He sighed. I'm sorry, he said, and meant it. Please forgive my rudeness. It is forgiven, the hive said. The voice was gentle and understanding. There were, after all, 297 people in the Gestalt who had once gone through the same brutal test themselves. What else would you have me do? Daniel asked. Your examination is completed, the Hive told him. Your telepathic talent is rated at power level 2, and your psychic healing is rated at level 4. Daniel's heart sank. Level 4 was as far below the average as level 9 was above it. 84 to 85 percent of all psychic healers were stronger than he was. As for level 2, well, theoretically, that put him in the bottom 2 percent for telepathy. There were probably a lot of low-level teeps out there whose powers stayed latent, which would change the shape of the curve if they could be accounted for. But of those teeps who were strong enough for the Collective to notice them, Daniel definitely ranked near the bottom. He didn't know why he should have been surprised. He had never even been able to start a link without touching somebody, except once in a while with Rebecca. Rebecca. Excuse me, he asked, but will Rebecca and I be able to start a breeding cell? The hive sent a wave of regret. We're afraid not, it said. Your powers aren't strong enough. We need the next generation of size to be stronger than the current one if we are to ensure the survival of our people. His guts felt like they had turned to water. But what about Fiona? She's only a level three teep, and you want her in a breeding cell. Fiona Hinconnell is also a level eleven egoist, the hive reminded him. But even if she were not, she would still be a woman of childbearing age, and would thus be essential. Our survival depends on the numbers of children we can produce, as well as their relative strength. One man can easily sire children with four or five women on a regular rotation. That is the entire basis of the breeding cell system. We do not need low-powered males to become fathers when we have more than enough high-level ones to serve the current population of prospective mothers. Daniel felt a wave of indignation at the unfairness of it all. His first instinct was to shout and protest. Instead, he forced himself to calm down and tried using logic. What if my powers get stronger? It's happened before. What if I spend the next few years at university, and work on practicing my talents while I'm there? Maybe I'm not as weak as it looks right now. Maybe I just haven't learned to use my powers to their full ability yet. It is possible, the Hive agreed. Rare, but not unheard of. We will allow you to attend university on collective funds. Your academic record is very respectable, and we have no doubt you will put your higher education to good use. 
understand, however, that you will be responsible to repay our investment in you. If, upon graduation, your powers are still too weak to qualify you as a breeding cell husband, you will be required to join a bachelor cell. You will work for the hive until our investment is repaid. After that, if you choose to leave active participation in the collective and begin a life of your own, you will be free to go. Daniel shivered. If there was anything that sounded worse than being stuck in a bachelor cell with a bunch of other have-nots, it was trying to make a life without the support and protection of the collective. I'll do it. I'll go to Empire University with Rebecca. I'll take night classes here at Westfall to practice using my powers. And by the time we graduate, I'll show you that I'm good enough for a breeding cell. We shall see, the hive said, then broke the link. The elder turned to Daniel. You may go now. As Daniel came outside, Rebecca was putting the last touches on an intricate bit of abstract art, which she had drawn on the concrete path with five different colors of chalk. She looked up at him with a smile, but then her eyes briefly flashed yellow as she looked at him. Her face fell, and Daniel knew that she had just channeled the results of his test, or enough of them, anyway. Oh, Eli, she whispered, tears welling up in her eyes. Oh, no. Shh, Daniel soothed, rushing to wrap her in his arms. It's okay, he said. No, it's not, Rebecca protested, weeping. They're going to send you away from me. Not yet, they aren't, Daniel assured her. We've got four years. As long as we're full-time students, they won't make you join a breeding cell. That'll give me time to get my powers in shape. We'll get through this. Rebecca pressed her face hard against his chest and sobbed. He felt the tears soaking through the thin fabric of the shirt. Shh, he said again, holding her tightly. It's going to be okay. I'm not giving up on us. We'll come through this, and we'll do it together. She clutched at him. Promise? she asked. He stroked her long brown hair and tried to blink the tears out of his eyes. Promise. And that's the end of Chapter 2. Come back next time when we jump ahead five years and see what has become of Daniel and his friends. Shannon Hale said, I'm writing a first draft and reminding myself that I'm simply shoveling sand into a box so that later I can build castles. So, let's see how much sand I've been able to move this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of October 31st through November 6th. I wrote 5,487 words this week, over the course of 8.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 665 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 203 days without breaking my chain. This week I again took Monday and Tuesday off from work. I was volunteering at the polls on Tuesday, which was election day in the U.S., that meant I had to be up at 5 a.m. so I could help open the polling stations at 6, so I took Monday off to make sure I was well-rested before the big day. 
That turned out to be a really good choice for my writing. Mel was at work on Monday, and I'd caught up on housework over the weekend, so I had all day to focus on Honor Bound. I wrote over 2,400 words on just that one day. I realized that I needed to amp up the tensions between Natasha and one of her antagonists, so I went back and changed the ending of Chapter 26. I also made a small but important change in Chapter 25, which set up an important character moment for both Honor and Natasha when we get to the climax. With that done, I was able to push forward on Chapter 28, setting the stage for the final act of the book. I'm now in Chapter 29, and the manuscript is over 77,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.